Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of TI Talks. I'm Ricky, and I'm joined today by editor of Tech Inform, James Pierce. Hi, Ricky. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We will be discussing today some interesting developments from the world of cybersecurity, the US and UK government hacking the hackers and taking Lockpick under their control. And later on in the episode, we will be joined by very experienced telecoms journalist and editor at Total Telecom, Harry Bulldock, who will be here to discuss everything MWC and what we should all be looking out for at this year's conference. But first, James, do you want to start us off with Lockbit? Sure. So as our listeners may or may not know, Lockbit is a fairly well-known ransomware gang. Um, Ransomware is essentially when... Uh, hackers take control of enterprise systems or it could be personal systems. Um, they can gain entry in a variety of ways and lock them out from doing it, um, asking for money, for basically for payment, quite often in the form of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies uh, in order to release it. There's been some massive cases um, and Lockbit, I think, has been involved in some significant ones. I think they were involved in the hack of um, Boeing as well as a few others, maybe Bank of America as well. Um, So basically, they're pretty well known to the authorities. But today on the website that was kind of seen as a a face for Lockbit, the UK, US and EU authorities have essentially managed to take over that website and basically said that they've taken down some of the operations of Lockbit. Um, It's included some arrests of some affiliates, um, disrupting their, their website and some of their activities. Um, and they managed to get a hold of some of the extortion gang's data as well. Uh, so it's really big and interesting news in terms of it's one of the bigger ransomware gangs or better known ransomware gangs. Uh, and it shows a real combined effort. It was the UK's National Crime Agency, the FBI from the US, uh, Europol from the EU, as well as I think police organizations from eight other countries all teamed together to coordinate their actions Um and take Lockbit down. So yeah, it's it's quite a significant operation. And they're calling it Operation Kronos. I often wonder how they come up with these operation names. <laughs> Somebody just plucks a dictionary and goes, yeah, we'll go for that one. That one sounds good. It's always something Greek, isn't it? It's got to be. It's, it's all about like, read Greek mythology and it's all about, you know, intrigue and murder and yeah, great stories. So that's, I, I would pick names from Greek mythology if I could as well. Well, this story does sound a bit like a tragedy, uh, at least on behalf of Lockbit. What kind of implications do you think this is going to have for the the ransomware space? Should should other organizations be quivering in their boots? Well, look, I mean, Lockbit, as I said, have done some pretty significant things. I think, yeah, mentioned Boeing, Royal Mail in the UK and the UK's Ministry of Defense and, and even Bank of America had been hit by, by their operations. So they've disrupted a lot of large organizations and held them to ransom. And I think essentially what you get in this situation, when you get so many major police organizations working together to take someone down, they're effectively saying, yeah, we're not afraid to go after the big players. If you step out of line, we will work together and we will hunt you down. Ultimately, by doing it in such a visual way, they're firing a warning to other organizations because they took over the website. They posted a big, long statement explaining what was going on. And <laughs> the whole point of that is, isn't for the general public. 
and it isn't just them patting themselves on the back. It's them saying to other to the people who are left from Lockbit, "We've got you, and we're gonna continue to get the rest of you." And at the same time, saying to other players, other ransomware gangs, "Watch out because we will come after you." But do you think this is a case of like, you know, you play with the ball and you get the horns? Some of the organizations that they've targeted before, they kind of poked the bear. Is this why the the US and the UK and the EU kind of all got together just because they kind of were personally in, involved in this? Or, you know, are other if, if other um, ransomware gangs just like kind of leave governments alone and they kind of just going to be left to their own devices? I don't think so. I think, you know, TechVob published a ransomware report a months ago and had some really good practical tips and information about, about ransomware. But at that point, it was a real growing threat. It's continued to be a growing threat. But I think that whole cybersecurity landscape we're now seeing because of underinvestment, because of um, general issues with you know, the difficulty in dealing with, with hackers it felt like the authorities were a couple of steps behind. And this is them showing that maybe they're not as far behind anymore because it's become such a growing issue. And it's not just, I don't think it's that Lockbit stuck their head above the parapet. I think it's essentially they were a target that they wanted to take down. But the reason the authorities making such a big deal out of it is effectively they can now, it, it's a warning shot. But I think it shows that these this kind of coordination is what is needed to be able to pull off an operation like this it does see, it still it seems a bit like you know lockbit just got a bit too big for the boots and maybe flew a bit too close to the sun and uh now they're kind of getting their comeuppance i guess they're not the only one you know we had the black cat seizure which i think was in december it was at end of last year and that was the fbi partnering with uh, other international law enforcement agencies to take down black cat which was another significant operator in that space so there's a pattern here that's emerging where law enforcement agencies partner with each other, hunt them down in different locations, and then do a coordinated action to arrest people, seize their assets, and take over their websites all at the same time. As to how long it stays that, because the problem with these guys, with these hackers are, they're really hard to break up the whole organization because quite often, even though it is run like a business, they will be scattered all over the world. Uh, and obviously their whole thing is that they hide their identities. Um, but as we saw with the Black Cat one, they announced soon after the FBI seized seized their website in December, they announced that they had unseized it. What does that mean? It means that they, they got control of it back and they, started, they issued a threat to the FBI. So it'll be interesting to see whether there's any response from Lockbit or what's left of Lockbit. Well, I'll tell you what, get Jason Statham on the case. <laughs> Jason Satham's the man for everything. How can I how can I bridge the two stories? I need a link, James. Did a link. You could say something like clearly cybersecurity is, you know, a major bit major concern for enterprises at the moment. Other another major concern is connectivity and five G private networks. And that's something that's gonna be a huge topic at next week's Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. I'm just gonna use that. You just said you said it quite well. <laughs> Here to discuss MWC with us is the fabulous Harry Bulldog. Has he ever been described as fabulous before? I don't know. Now he has. Add it to your CV. <laughs> A very experienced telecoms journalist and the editor at Total Telecom, Harry Bulldog. Here to talk to us all about MWC as a, a veteran MWC attendee. How many times have you been now, Harry? 
you, you know what? It's it's not actually been that many. I think it's uh, it's only four. I've been uh, fairly interrupted by by COVID, but um, yeah, it certainly feels like a veteran. <laughs> it's always a very full on experience. Well, that's four more times than I've been, so you win. I think you want to kick off the first round of questions. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for joining, Harry. Really appreciate it. Um, I suppose just to start, maybe you could run us through what um, you're expecting to see at this year's Congress in Barcelona. What do you think are going to be the big trends that everyone's going to be talking about over there? Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult to tell. I think this year is fairly easier than, than previous years because uh, I think it's absolutely everywhere, which, of course, is, is, is AI, particularly Gen AI. Um you know, for, for telcos, I think AI is something they've been doing for a long time, particularly kind of like deep within the network. And primarily, it's just about automation and efficiency. Uh, but now with Gen AI, you're getting to the point where you can do some more kind of fun things with customer experience uh, and kind of creating the uh, these kind of new use cases that they, they really didn't have access to before. Uh, questions maybe related to ethics and how kind of how they can use this AI and all the data that they've got in their uh, in their networks effectively and ethically without kind of interfering with uh with privacy and stuff like that but um yeah i think that's probably the the really big one for me but that'll also be the, the the kind of i guess more more expected topics like continual evolution of 5g you know is that 5.5 g 5g standalone uh what does that mean for new use cases who who wants these uh can the telcos actually monetize them effectively yeah i think it's uh, always a kind of a big challenge that kind of gets swapped and swept under the rug a little bit um, and probably, I think maybe if I have to pick a third theme, maybe um, non-terrestrial networks, I, I think are quite interesting, kind of using satellites and, and maybe kind of like uh, high altitude platform systems, things, things like uh, like balloons and UAVs to provide uh, connectivity. Um, I think it's all really interesting. It's becoming increasingly more realistic that these solutions can actually be kind of incorporated into uh, the normal mobile network. So you've got solutions for things like uh, like roaming for disaster relief. Um, yeah, loads of cool applications like that that I think were probably pie in the sky just a few years ago and now becoming uh, fairly mainstream, especially with things like Starlink saying, oh, you'll soon be able to access the satellite uh, mobile network using your your normal smartphone, which, uh, yeah, would pretty, be a huge change. Um, whether it's cost effective, who knows? But um, yeah, maybe probably those two, three themes are probably the things that I'll be uh, looking out for the most. Just on the AI topic, how much of a challenge does it pose to the network operators in terms of the kind of increased volume, the increased reliability that's needed to run AI systems, the compute that's going on in the background? Increasingly, if there's AI software running over their networks, it may remove the need for the operators apart from being a pipe as well. It's kind of, it's, it could be a threat in that way as well. How concerned are they about it? Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. I, th I think for most operators, they absolutely hate the idea that they they are just a dumb pipe. I think for for a few years now, we've been talking about this kind of transformation between from being a pure telco to being a, a techco. As far as AI specifically is concerned, I think there are kind of questions about how this impacts network usage, how it, how it impacts uh, network build. Um, I don't think the telcos would probably tell you they're too scared of it at the moment. I don't. Th I think they're probably quite excited and obviously from from their perspective they really want to be the ones pushing this they want to be the ones on the cutting edge i think it's a bit like uh years ago where they with the kind of the talk of the, the over the top players and people like netflix and, and whatnot that kind of seem to have made all this money from uh from the telcos networks and obviously we have the the fair share debate which is a whole different topic but uh i i think there is that somewhat of a concern that could happen again that, that if the telcos themselves don't get involved with ai 
really closely, whether that's partnering with people, making specific acquisitions, um, or even just kind of getting involved in, in projects and kind of the, the regulatory side of things, um, they could be yeah missing out on a, a piece of the pie. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see at MWC how much they're involved in those discussions as opposed to just kind of being awed by the, the <laughs> by ChatGPT like the rest of us have been for the last year or two. Just on 5G, obviously, it's been, I mean, I wrote my first 5G story in like 2013 or something. So, you know, it's it's been long in the pipeline, launched um, just before COVID, and then we saw it really come to life during COVID. But it still feels like there's a story there in terms of, you know, you touched upon we don't necessarily have standalone in a lot of places and there's some real big challenges um, in terms of the kind of um, monetization of it as well. Where are we at with 5G in terms of that development and how far is, is it time we start talking about 6G? Do you think that's going to come up at all? Or are we still so much stuck in the kind of what's happening with 5G conversation? Yeah, I think it's a really kind of difficult topic, really. I think... Um... 5G certainly for for my money hasn't delivered as much as as we were promised, and I think part of that is the fact that we've ha- haven't had maybe the the correct spectrum in a lot of countries. But also, yeah, without standalone 5G, the really kind of like exciting use cases like uh, you know like XR and VR and things like that just kind of haven't materialized. And I think in a lot of those cases, like like XR, part of the problem is the fact that the the adjacent industries, so in this case, people making the headsets and things, haven't advanced at the same speed as the the network. I think. The operators would love it if suddenly we were wearing these these virtual reality goggles as we went on our commute on the train, but it's it's just not a feasible thing right now. Uh, and I think that's partly what, how we've ended up with this kind of pivot towards enterprises being the focus for five G for so for so long, because uh, that's where in these kind of contained scenarios people can really get to grips with what five G can do. You can really convince someone who's running a factory just how useful a private five G network is and, and what this might mean for things like. Uh, like uh, kind of real time, real time insights into what's going on on the factory floor, or kind of automated driving, things like that. Um, whereas, yeah, for the for the average consumer, five G is still very much just like oh, it's slightly faster than four G, and half the time, it, all it's really doing is draining my battery. So they don't particularly care about that, and they're certainly not overly thrilled about the prospect of of paying for it. And I and I think as as well, partly the discussions about six G, which I think will certainly be there at MWC, are partially there and being made so exciting because of the fact that 5g is still kind of failing to deliver like it's it's quite people are quite happy to uh to look to the future and go oh like it doesn't really matter what 5g is doing because look at this other this new shiny technology that's going to have all of these incredible use cases and um yeah and don't get me wrong as a telecoms journalist that's really exciting um but i think the actual cycle of of kind of transforming 5g and, and getting to the point where we're really ready for 6g it's it's still a long way off, and I think even from from a kind of standardizations perspective, uh, it's it's still got a long way to go. Yes, I was just looking at the main themes uh, on on the MWC's website for the year, and one of them is um, manufacturers, manufacturing, and how five G and IoT are going to revolutionize the way that um, production happens. So I guess that kind of leads into the question of what what enterprises do you think that we're going to see? Um, who should we be looking out for, and what the enterprise trends? in telecoms at the moment might be certainly kind of like private networks for enterprise are still quite quite interesting kind of enabling uh industry 4.0 as as it's as it's called uh it's definitely been a, a kind of a big theme even for since the the birth the kind of start of 5g really the trouble is is that it's often difficult to for telcos 
to have these conversations with people that they've not really had too much of a relationship with. I think prior to this, uh, if you worked in a factory, you know, how many people even probably on the, the kind of fairly technical side of what, what they do in a manufacturing plant actually know who's providing their Wi-Fi, for example, you know, what, like do they appreciate that uh, things could be going way faster with, uh, with 5G and maybe they could get reduce their energy consumption by a certain amount by making things more efficient by could they, they could have smart robotics that are using that are only really uh, available when you have these much lower latency connections that that at least the current iterations of wi-fi maybe not the, the latter ones uh, can offer so i think a lot of the real trouble over the past few years has been i guess finding a way to kind of showcase that the 5g is really kind of necessary to to make a, a big change to your business and I think they're starting to get momentum there. There still aren't these a ton of trendsetters. There's a lot of things like uh, like ports, uh, the odd kind of uh, like some mining operations, um, and a few kind of big manufacturing plants, a few things with automotive that are showing that you really can do this effectively, and it and it does make a big difference. But at the same time, I don't think there's been anything so monumental that it's really making a a big industry like the automotive industry think. You know, we we all must be looking towards private 5g there's definitely this kind of i wouldn't call it a fear but certainly the possibility that, that telcos aren't necessarily like a, a key part of the the kind of private connectivity for enterprise ecosystem and they really need to kind of work at that to make sure they uh they get their piece of the cake is there anything that's really exciting you about this year's mwc other than the end obviously <laughs> yeah um I, I don't know, really. I, I think MWC is always a weird one where you go half expecting to be really proactive and go and have the conversations you want. Um, but I also try and factor in time to kind of be reactive and see what the, the kind of temperature is for, for various different topics and kind of try and meet the, the more exciting people talking about niche things that maybe you don't get a chance to cover quite so often. So, um, But there's quite a lot of smaller things like, um, yeah, like the non-terrestrial network stuff. Um, that I'm kind of just keen to go around and have a chat with various people and kind of see where they're at with it, where they think, what, what do they think the timeline looks like for some of this stuff to become real and tangible and, and kind of useful, I guess, and they're making money for people. If you'll forgive me a pun, the, it feels like the non-terrestrial network stuff has been floating around for quite a long time. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, that, that's not the worst one I've done. Don't encourage them. <laughs> uh, what advice do you have for somebody like me who has never been to mwc before um i mean the the, the classic is obviously wear comfortable shoes another thing that everyone says is to factor in travel time between the halls which obviously is a big uh, a big distance that tends to be pretty packed so uh can actually take you probably 15 minutes to get from one side to the other so be careful when you're uh, when you're booking in the meetings to if they're then opposite sides, then you need to uh, to factor that in. But I think even beyond that, I would say like it's it's quite easy with MWC to. There's so much going on. There's so many people you could meet. It's quite easy to get a bit lost in terms of who should I see, what should I do, what topics should I focus on. You know, even when we're discussing it now, it's it's still not clear to me, having looked at all these things for for a month or so, what I should really go and do. And the uh, the reality is, you can't do it all. Um, so what I would say is is to try and factor in, you know, an hour here or there where you aren't really doing anything and kind of use that time to kind of reset and gauge the temperature of like what's what's going on i think uh, oftentimes i've been at mwc and i've booked in however many meetings and, and briefings and go and see this round table this session throughout the day left myself ne nearly no time to to kind of do anything uh 
and as soon as I've kind of come home the next week, I've, I've looked back and thought, oh, I really wish I'd gone to that session or seen this guy, which was never on my radar before I went. Uh, but it, had I just been there and kind of taken the time to kind of reassess priorities, probably would have been something I would have done. So, And also enjoy it. My first MWC was 2015, I think. And I did the exact mistake that Harry just touched upon where I didn't put leave enough time between meetings. So you'd see me sprinting between Hall 7 and Hall 2 and pushing people out of the way on the travelators and stuff like that. And and I never really got chance to just walk around and look at some of the really cool technology that you get to see or take in the size and scale of it because I was running from one place to another. The making sure that you get to see it because there will be things that, if unless you've been to a, tech, a lot of tech conferences that you might have never seen before. Um, and one year that I went, I think it was Ericsson, had a full-scale life-size real aeroplane in the middle of Hall 3 or 4 that you could walk on because they were showing their in-flight connectivity. It was, it was super cool. And you get things like this um, all over. So just take, make sure you give yourself a chance to really experience it as well and not just focus on the work aspect. I think MWC is one of the few times when telecom stuff and probably more tech stuff in, in general is actually tangible. I mean, nearly, every, you know, you finally actually get to go and see and, and hold these things and touch these things and wear the headset and kind of see the little robot dog walking around. Uh, and it's not really something that when you're kind of sitting at home, you know, writing about it, like like we do, that's that's not something that's really all that practical. I mean, half the time you don't even get sent a picture, right? So it's, uh, yeah, go go there, walk around, find the cool stuff. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely try and enjoy it amidst all the walking. And, and find someone with good coffee as well. <laughs> I suppose there's the last thing, Harry. Thank you so much for joining us. But um, what should we expect to see from you guys in general, from from Total Tally, and, and you know, in the coming months and the rest of the year? Have you got anything exciting coming up? Yeah, I think well, actually I'm back from uh, from MWC for a week, and then uh, then we're off to uh, Dallas for Connected America, which is a a new conference that we launched uh, last year. It was really successful. Uh, this year, I think we're expecting north of 1500 people are going to be there uh for for those of you guys who uh know connected britain well it's essentially uh a, a version of connected britain taking place in america looking at all the, the top kind of connectivity topics so we've got the the mobile side we've got what what the operators are doing with with 5g with private networks um uh there's the infrastructure stuff so uh, like neutral host is a really kind of big popular topic in the us at the moment uh we've got people from the fcc there for for the regulatory side uh, and obviously, we've got a whole host of kind of like fiber players and, and kind of broadband people. So, uh, yeah, really excited for that. And then shortly after that, come back and we've got Connected North, which is essentially Connected Britain's kind of younger brother, I guess, taking place up in, in Manchester and uh, covering a lot of the same topics, but really with a, a much tighter focus on community uh, and investment. And, uh, you know, obviously, there's a there's a huge north-south divide. And what how does that get reflected in the the kind of telecoms community? Uh, and what can we do about it? So, uh, yeah, exciting few months ahead. Um, lots to do. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Going to have to lobby your bosses to move into the real north and go to Newcastle. <laughs> uh, the, the... What's the real north? I don't know. Newcastle's definitely more north than the Manchester. Well, thanks for Brilliant. joining us, um, Harry. I hope it hasn't um, been too um, distressing for you in that little booth. No, it's, it's been great. Thank you, guys. It's uh, It's been fun. Let's do it again sometime when uh, MWC is not destroying all our brakes. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. Thanks so much for joining. No worries. Cheers, guys.
Well, thank you all for listening today. I uh, hope you enjoyed this wonderful tour of MWC. Uh, and we'll be sure to catch up with you once I'm back and you'll have all the fantastic stories to read. Um, James, do you have anything to add? No, I just hope you have a really good time in Barcelona. I will be experiencing extreme FOMO for not going for the first time in a few years, but also about time somebody else had to suffer the the joys of of um, the Fira. So I'm sure you'll have a great time um, and there'll be loads of interesting stuff to cover on, on Tech Informed in the aftermath. Uh, well, that's all we have time for today. So until next time, stay informed. Stay informed.